Oh, wait. No, no. Can you hear my keyboard? I hear your keyboard, but it's fine. I can do post-processing. No, because I'm not trying to hear no goddamn typewriter in this podcast. No, no I'll fix it. I promise. So how's it going? Good morning. Sound like Good morning. I am long. Just chilling. How about you? Pretty good. All right. Bismillah. What you got going over there? I see you're playing a game. Oh, just a little deep. Having some fun. Casual, casual flow while we do this podcast. I hear you. Good times. There's a bullets, boy. So listen, I wanted to show you this article. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to show it to you, though. Here, I'll actually Can I'll you send, send the link through Zoom. Yeah, this is an I'll send it to you on, on the chat. This is an article by Justin Parrott. Do you know him? No, I don't. Brother Abu Amina Ilyas. Mm-hmm. He always drops, you know, some nice Islamic reminders on Twitter. I like every one of them. Uh, and so he wrote this article. This is actually an old article, but I just came across it. It's from like 2013. And uh, he emphasizes the, the ahadith, like he brings them all together, the ahadith about responsibility and hard work in Islam. And I just think it's so solid because, you know, when, you, when you're going to like vote, right, and you're, and you're thinking about which, which candidate appeals to, to me the most. And as a Muslim, you know, you, you should obviously pick the, the, not even as a Muslim, just as a voter in general, you pick the candidate that most aligns with your values, right? And so if you just read this, it completely goes against the idea of socialism and providing for people. Because just look at what the Prophet said. Uh, just to scroll down just a tiny bit. Uh, so here's here's one. Let me zoom in a tiny bit. This font is ridiculously small. He says, uh, Abu Huraira reported that the Messenger of Allah said, وَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ لِأَنْ يَأْخُذَ أَحَدُكُمْ حَبْلَهُ فَيَحْتَطِبَ عَلَى ظَهْرِهِ خَيْرٌ لَهُ مِنْ أَنْ يَأْتِي رَجُلًا فَيَسْأَلُهُ أَعْطَاهُ أَوْ مَنَعَهُ by him in whose, in whose hand is my soul, if one of you were to carry a bundle of firewood on his back and sell it, that would be better for him than begging a man who may or may not give him anything. And then he goes down, he drops this hadith. He says, The upper hand is better than the lower hand, the upper hand being the one that gives and the lower hand being the one that receives. Because like back then they would, their currency exchange was coins. So it was like, you know, you stick mm-hmm. your hand out. So basically just saying drops. Yeah. He's saying the one work. that gives is better than the one that receives. Like right. they're both good people, yeah. but you should always strive to be the one that gives. Mm-hmm. And so he, he goes on uh, and he, he mentions the, you know, the hadith about uh, David, uh, peace be upon him, prophet David, that David would never eat except from the earnings of his own hands work. And then he goes down to Zechariah, Zechariah, Najara, that Prophet Zechariah was a carpenter, peace be upon him. Uh, and then he talks about, there's a hadith about the, uh, there's a narration by Aisha about the Prophet said him that someone asked him, what was he like? And she says, The Prophet said was a man among men. He would remove fleas from his own clothes, milk his sheep and serve himself. Basically saying daily household chores, he would do it himself. Yeah. And then, Mentions the, uh, the, the dua that the Prophet taught the Sahaba. Allahumma inni as'aluka al-huda wa-tuqa wal-afafa wal-ghina. Oh Allah, I ask you for guidance, righteousness, 
uh, abstinence, or you could actually translate translate this as purity because it's like purity from like sexual promiscuity, and independence or self sufficiency that a Muslim is supposed to be able to be someone that depends on himself. And there's a part where uh, um, there's a, a hadith where they, they narrated that the Prophet said at one time uh, they 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 saw that he would gather food for himself and he would keep food for at least a year, like that's what he would save from his own provision. And one time a man came, obviously we know that the Sahaba like Omar and Abu Bakr, who, you know, they're top dogs in a sense, they're big shots. They would give half their wealth and Abu Bakr gave all his wealth. But one time a man came to do that. He gave a huge portion of his wealth. And the Prophet said, to keep your money. We don't need it. Keep your money. He said, keep your money, keep your dignity because you give all your wealth. And then you come asking for money to, you know, as, as a beggar, it's you, you're going to lose your dignity. And one time uh, during Omar's time, when he was the Amin al-Mu'minin, the leader of the believers, when he was going to Mecca, he went down to Mecca and he saw a group of people with with nothing with them. You know what I mean? Like they had no uh, um, no 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 uh, you know carriage, no no baggage, no no nothing, right? They, and so he assumed that they were robbed by some highwaymen. So he came up to him to ask that. He's like he's, he said, uh, uh, "Mahada." Right. Like, what's going on? You guys good? And they go, oh, and they, they're all proud of themselves. They go to explain themselves to Omar. We are the people who depend upon Allah alone. Like we came out here, we brought nothing. And look at that. Subhanallah. We ask people for stuff and they provide. Who, who provides? Allah provides. We depend on none but Allah. And Omar looks at him and he goes. He says like. You don't depend on Allah. You depend on others. This isn't depending on Allah. Depending on Allah is prep preparation, doing everything you need to do to be prepared for something, and then putting your faith in Allah that it goes well. Like you, you're going on a journey, you're going to Hajj, you get all your stuff together, you get all your bags, you get all, all the water, you get your water skin, you fill it up, you, you do whatever you got to do, and then you head out putting your faith in Allah that everything will go smoothly. And if it doesn't, that's part of his plan. You don't go out with nothing except the clothes on your back and then just be like, yeah, Allah provides. He's got me. <laughs> like, what a bunch of stuff. What a bunch of goofballs, man. Like, seriously. And you have people like that all the time. There was a man that went up to uh, uh, Sheikh bin Arthaymin. He goes, oh, Sheikh, I have a question. He goes, Fadluk. Uh, and he goes, uh, I was uh, praying in the musalla of the airport one time. And uh, I had my belongings in front of me. And someone came and stole my belongings while I was in salah, but I didn't want to leave the salah because I was in the hands of Allah. And he said, Ya Rajul, anta mughaffal. He said, my man, you are an idiot. Dang. Or colloquially, you're a goofball. <laughs> <laughs> you knucklehead. Like, what are you doing? You're praying and someone's stealing your stuff. And he was asking, did I do the right thing? He's like, no, you're an idiot. Go grab your stuff. Like, what are you doing? Like, step out of salat if you're in the masjid and the masjid's on fire. You're just going to keep praying. Like, no, I'm, I'm in God's hands. No, like you be practical. Islam is a practical religion. But anyways, I just want to finish up this, this uh, what he wrote here, because there's another part that I really like. So a man walks up to the Prophet, I said him, right? Uh, and um, the Prophet, I said, not only is he a religious figure, the religious leader, but he's also the head of state, right? Like, so he represents the government in, in Medina. And so if, some, if someone had a hajj, if someone had a need, they would come up to him and ask him about it. So a man comes up and he says, uh, let me switch back here. He goes up to him 
so it's narrated by Anas ibn Madik that a man from the Ansar came to the messenger of Allah, peace and blessings be upon him, and he begged from him. So the Prophet asked, Have you nothing in your house? He says, yes, a piece of cloth, a part of which we wear, and a part of which we spread on the ground, and a wooden bowl from which we drink water. So the Prophet said, Bring them to me. So he brings those to him, and the Prophet takes them in his hands, and he goes to the market. He says, Who will buy these? The man says, a person from the market, I will buy them for one coin. Then he asks twice or three times that many would do ala dirhamin. Who will offer more than a coin? Another man says, I'll buy them for two coins. So the Prophet sold those articles to him, took the two coins, and he gives them to the guy. And he says, Buy food with one of them and hand it to your family, and then go buy an axe and bring it to me. So he brings the axe, it's the axe head. And the Prophet said, fixes a handle to it with his own hands. And he says, Go gather firewood and sell it. Don't let me see your face for a fortnight. So 15 days, disappear. Don't let me see your face. The man goes away, gathers firewood and sells it. When he earned 10 coins, he came to him and bought a garment with some of them and food with the others. And the Prophet ﷺ said, This is better for you than that begging should come as a spot on your face on the day of judgment. Begging is right only for three people, for one who is in grinding poverty or for one who is in severe debt or for a painful compensation for killing. And I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that the painful compensation for killing is like someone that's uh, having to pay blood money. And it's a lot. Typically, blood money is not cheap. You, like you killed someone unlawfully, but they decided because the law, the law was the death penalty. But if they decided the family of the deceased decided to forgive you, then they could ask for, for blood money. And so to pay that, then, yeah, he could raise funds for it. Um, and so he goes on. He says that begging without a valid excuse is a major sin in Islam. There's no blessing in the charity one receives from begging. Wow, he reported that the messenger of Allah said, said, do not be persistent in begging. By Allah, if one of you asks me for something and I give it to and I give it to him unwillingly, and there's no blessing in what I've given him. And there's another hadith of the Prophet sent him, someone kept begging him, begging him, begging him, and he knew that the man did not need what he was begging for. But he gave it to him, and as he's walking away, he says, and Omar hears him. Uh, that this man is taking with him fire, fire from hell, meaning this he's going to be punished for that. And he said, oh, Prophet Allah, why would you give it to him? And he said, because uh, it, it is not befitting for me to deny someone what they ask for. Basically, as a prophet, when someone asks him for something, he should give it. Same thing when someone asks him a question. Even though he doesn't want to answer the question, he has to tell him. You know, like, for example, when someone, he has to tell the truth. Uh, like when someone asked him one time, who do you love the most? And the guy was expecting it would be him. I think it was Amr bin Ibn al Oh, I think I've heard this before. Yeah, and so he was telling him, no, nah, it's Abu Bakr. And he goes, who else? And he goes, Omar. And he goes, who else? And he goes, Uthman. <laughs> and so he was hoping it would be him. And the Prophet just can't lie. He can't be like, no, it's you. Yeah. Because it's untrust, uh, or, or it's like, it's, it's lying. So um, there's another one, man. There's, uh, 
There's a great article, mashallah, by this brother. This is actually a really good article. I haven't heard most of these, so this is this is really good to know. Yeah. Uh, there's one down here, right? This is a really good one. So he goes, uh, he, he shares this uh, hadith down here that the Prophet sent at one time. Uh, he was with his companions and the Auf bin Malik reported that the Messenger of Allah, peace, be, peace and blessings be upon him, said, Will you not give your pledge of allegiance to the Messenger of God? Someone said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, we've already given you our pledge. So what are we pledging to now? The Prophet said, he says that you worship Allah, you don't associate partners with Him, you pray five times a day, you listen, you obey, and you don't ask anyone for anything. And the companions were so careful to obey this command that they wouldn't ask for help even in small matters. Alphabet Maddox said, Indeed, some of these people obeyed this to the extent that if his whip were to fall from his mount, he wouldn't ask anyone to hand it to him. So if he's on wow. his camel and he drops his whip, which is way down, right? Because you're, you're high up on a camel. Mm -hmm. He would get his camel to stoop down, get down from his mount, grab his whip, get back on, and then get back in the air again. He wouldn't say, hey, man, can you grab that, uh, that whip real quick? That's how closely they followed it. And so put, put aside questions of assisted living you know of food stamps of course we're not talking about people that definitely need it obviously if someone really needs it they would fall into the category of grinding poverty like someone that's coming from a war-torn country or something like that or someone that's disabled or elderly elderly or sick those people obviously they can't make their own look but people that are able-bodied you know what i mean that's the, dude you're not following the sunnah people that want free this free that that's not the sunnah. As soon as you take care of yourself, as soon as you figure it out yourself, not the government comes and steps in to help you. Um, let me see if he's got any other goodies in here. Um, yeah. It's uh, these are actually some of these are similar, so they're slightly repeated. So this is all from that one brother who's posting this stuff on Twitter. Yeah, okay. um, it's solid, man. It really is because people think that um, you know we we have this understanding that the government is rich and that the government needs to help me out. But dude, that's just not the mentality that they had. When the, when the Muhajirun, the Muhajirun are the, the immigrants of Mecca, that when the Prophet fled Mecca, he went to Medina because the people of Medina accepted him. They called him the Ansar because they were the supporters of the Prophet. And then a group of Sahaba that lived and were from Mecca left Mecca to go join the Prophet in Medina, right? Mm -hmm. And they left with nothing, nothing but the clothes on their backs. Like absolutely nothing. They, they went from rich to dirt poor. And so because of that, because of their need and their hajjah, the Prophet Sallallahu paired them up and he picked for everyone uh, a friend. Like this guy, this muhajir becomes the friend of this Ansari. And so that's the Ansari started to, they helped the muhajirun so much that they're praised by the Prophet Sallallahu they're praised in Islam, they're praised by the, by the Quran itself. Um, and so there's a Sahabi, Abdurrahman ibn Auf. He, he was a man that came, well, that was one of the muhajirun and he was, he was completely broke too. And someone came to help him. And he's like, no, no, I don't, I don't need your help. I appreciate it, but I, I don't want that. Just tell me where the market is. 
And which one is the most viable, most prosperous market? Which one do you think is the best market to buy and sell in? And so one of the Ansar said, yeah, it's this market. It's the one that the, that the, the Jews of Medina are active in. And so he goes to that market. And Abdurrahman ended up dying one of the wealthiest people in Islam. He had so much wealth that after the Prophet had passed away, one time he comes back to Medina and he donates an entire caravan because he would trade with the people of uh, Sham, the, the Levant, and then also in Persia. That was the Rehta Tashita'i Waslaif. They would go all the way up to um, the Levant in uh, the summer. And then they would go all the way down to Yemen in the winter and they would trade between those regions. Yeah. And uh, they were safe for, for, for like such a long time because of the, the blessings of being from Mecca is that people thought that there was a, a miracle that protected them. And it was the reason, the reason why people believe that. Because when you, you know, when you go on a caravan, there's no law on the road. You can get attacked. You can get pillaged. Anyone could do anything. The only law is within your little city state. Mm-hmm. So uh, the only people that were untouched, though, were the people of Quraysh. And the reason why is because of the story of the, of the elephant. That when, uh, uh, you know, Abraha, when he came to attack Mecca, to destroy the Kaaba. Yeah. So that he could build his church in Yemen and people could go to the church. Uh, after his, his army was like annihilated and he was killed himself, people thought that the people of Quraysh can't mess with them or else God's going to step in. And so they would go untouched. They would travel throughout, you know, the peninsula untouched. Uh, and they would trade and they would become very wealthy. And so Abdurrahman ibn Auf, he would go and he would trade and he had so much money that he donated one time an entire caravan when he came back to, to Medina. So he was a very wealthy man. Um, and so that's what you're supposed to do. That's, that's the example that they set. You know, they, they went and they, they completely started from nothing. You know, and that's, that's the process says that's, that's better in the sight of Allah on the day of judgment than for you to ask for people not knowing whether or not you'll get it not knowing whether or not you'll receive it. So that, like that's so. just something to keep in mind. You know what I mean? Like when you're, when you're voting and someone talks about, I'm going to make this free and I'm going to make that free and this is going to be free. It's like, okay, but do we really want that? Because you're, what you're doing is by setting something to zero, by making something free, cost, like there's no cost attached. Well, nothing is really free. Someone's paying for it. So if you print, you know, if you inflate the currency, you print money to pay for something like free college, for example, well, someone's got to foot the bill. You know, it's, it's not going to be free. Someone's going to pay for it. So the government's going to step in and pay for it. But then what, what are they going to do to the currency? They're going to wreck the currency. They're going to make the currency cheaper. And so obviously as Muslims, we're not looking to apply Islam in a region that isn't Muslim. Obviously not. But when you look at things, when you look at the candidates, you're supposed to try to pick the one that not only upholds your rights as an American Muslim, but also the one that lines up the most with your values. And so one of the things we believe is that you don't interfere in the economy. You know, one time the Prophet Senate was asked about price controls. Like, can you step in and regulate the market? And he said, no. He said, the prices are decided by Allah, and I don't want to meet him on the day of recompense and be responsible for the wealth and property of the Muslims. Basically saying, look, I'm not going to meet Allah with that, like saying I stopped the profits of one person. He says, Allah gives and Allah takes. He's the one that provides lavishly, and he's the one that takes from people. So if he provides for a person, I'm not going to bring his profits down. Profit is not haram. No one said you can't be wealthy. 
So, uh, and on that note, there was a, uh, there's a person one time came up to the prophet with tattered clothing, like holes in his shirt. So he looks at him and he says, uh, uh, do you have wealth? The man says, yes. He says, what kind of wealth? He says, I have properties here. I have this, I have a pasture. I have this oasis. So he starts listing out all the stuff he has. He was like, oh, okay. Then let Allah see the grace and the mercy of his bounties upon you. Like dress accordingly, like dress according to your wealth. You're a wealthy man. Go like wear something nice. It's not how I'm to wear something nice. I feel like a lot of people would take that out of context as a reason to show off. Well, it's it's according to the standard, like uh, Sheikh Yusuf Qadawi says in his book, uh, The Lawful and the Prohibited in Islam. He said, then you should dress according to the average standard of your people. If it's excessive for your people, you would know what's excessive for, for an American. Like what's excessive? Shirt Maybe pants. You should, huh? Shirt pants, shoes. No, that's not stuff. excessive. No, he's oh, saying I thought what you is said excessive? acceptable. No, no, yeah. So what, what is excessive in our society? I would say uh, a suit with jewel cufflinks. You know, that's excessive, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, every day, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, but a regular suit, nothing's, nothing's wrong with that. If you're a wealthy person, you wear a suit, that's normal. Yeah. Even if it's a $500 suit or a $1,000 suit, if you're wealthy, that is normal. So you're supposed to wear according to the, to the wealthy. Having a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, is that a That's, bad thing? I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's excessive, though. Well, I don't think it's excessive. It's according to the, the how much wealth you have. Like if you're if you're worth ten million plus, and you drop a quarter million on a car, is that excessive to that person? No, it's totally normal. What's the point of having that car if not to show off? Well, it's it's he's he's buying a car that's to his level of wealth. You know what I mean? Like not everyone has to have a twenty thousand dollar car. You know, like if someone is wealthy enough to afford something, then, yeah, they can they can buy a Ferrari. Lim- Obviously, you shouldn't have five of them. That's excessive. You shouldn't have five. Lim- what are you going to do with five Lamborghinis? What are you going to do with a Lamborghini, a Mercedes? A There's no doubt that it's excessive if you have five. Yeah. But one, I'm thinking, no. But I mean, it, and it's, this could be up for debate. If it's according to your uh, your your normal standard of living, then you could argue it's not too excessive. Um, obviously it's, it, you have to look at the, the situation though and, 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 you know, see, but accor- dressing accordingly, like you should not, people think it's effa, like it's, it's, it's piety that you, uh, um, uh, dress very cheaply, you know, like no one said that. The pious, That's the humble. Case. Yeah. Like it's, it's not pious. We were supposed to kind of not, um, like overdo it, but sort of, sort of hide our wealth. No, no, no. It says, it says in Surah Al-Duha, "Wa bina'mati Rabbika fahadith," and with the and the from the blessings of your Lord, uh, hadith. Like speak about it. Hmm. Like you should sh- share how Allah has blessed you. Show how Allah has blessed you. I you can't know? argue with that. No, like it's it's and it's it's not. It can become riyat if you do it in a certain way. It becomes a, a showing off. Uh, if you say uh, this is not f- it, so it depends on how you say it. If you say this is from the, the mercy of Allah, you know, this is alhamdulillah by min fadlillah from the grace of Allah. But if you start saying, nah, this is my hard work, this is what happens. You go work hard like I did, you'll get what just like Tarun did, right? That the, mm-hmm. Tarun was the really wealthy uh, relative of Musa who yeah. ended up getting swallowed up by the earth, him and his entourage. Uh, and um, he was uh, 
saying this is from me. You know, this isn't from this is from me, from my hard work. This is from how much effort I put in. Uh, and so yet can become a problem there if it's, you know what I'm saying? You're showing off and you're saying, hey, it's from me. Uh, but if you're talking about someone, for example, like a, a royal member of a royal family, right? Like a prince. And he wants to buy a Mercedes. He wants to buy a Lamborghini. He's got billions. Okay. Yeah. You can't really blame him for that. That's, exactly. that's not even from his perspective. That's not even like buying a pr- That's like absolutely normal. Everyone he knows has a Lamborghini. So for him to buy one is totally normal. From his perspective, that's totally normal because he's extremely wealthy. So, um, yeah, it's not how I'm going to be rich. Obviously, we have the, the taxation and, and whatnot. So, uh, the, the Zakat wealth tax. But what's definitely clear is that it's not from the Sunnah of the Prophet said, to interfere in markets, to, overly, uh, to heavily tax people, even in situations of war. You know what I mean? Like one time there was a, a, a Ghazwa, I can't remember which one, there was a fight that they were raising funds for. It's, it's, I think it was the, the, uh, the Battle of the Hazab, the, the Confederates, when they were coming in to surround them in Medina. The Prophet said was raising money uh, to, to you know, get um, camels and horses and, and weapons and armor. Um, he didn't even implement a war tax like we had. We had a war tax in, in World War II. He didn't even do that. It was voluntary. He went into the, to the street. He began asking, but who will, who will donate for the cause of God? And then people just started, you know, dropping money in his lap. You know, uh, I think it was a fan that ended up dumping a whole sack of gold coins in his lap. Donated 100 red camels. And red, 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 red camels are like one of the most expensive things you could own back then. So it's like even, a new Lamborghini. Yeah. So even even back then, it was it was all voluntary. You know, we don't. You don't go and force people, forcibly tax people uh, just because they're rich. It's not evil to be rich. Obviously, it's from the sunnah that you don't gather wealth and then just hide it. That's miserly. You don't just um, hoard money. That's obviously that's a bad thing. And there's a hadith that say the person that hoards money is not from me. That You should take your money and spend it. Uh, obviously, not all of it. You know, you need you need that nest egg to, to feed your family in case of, you know, drought or whatnot or you have a bad harvest because uh, a lot of the onslaught were farmers at the time and so you should have a little nest egg to take care of yourself in case you need it but it's it's definitely not the case that we attack the rich in Islam, that the rich are bad people that they can't have wealth they can't be profitable you know yeah. obviously there's a a base tax uh that should on them that should be the the two and a half percent wealth tax that should be used for the people that can't provide for themselves, the disabled, the elderly, the wayfarer, the orphan, the wayfarer is like the traveler, the orphan. Um, and uh, I believe that's, oh, and, and a person that has a calamity befall him. So if someone, for example, uh, like in our context, it would be like someone that had a car accident and he needs his car to get paid off. The, the, the state would step in to help him during that calamity. So, and then that would be taken from Baton Med. Uh, but but force force taxation there's there's no evidence of that except if it was something that uh like uh the wealth tax uh, but there there the, the scholars do say someone was asked uh asked the scholar about 
you know, what do you think about taxes? Is it halal and semi says if it's something, if it's a condition upon the people that they agreed to, like they voted it into law, then yeah, you could say it's okay. So, any thoughts? That I could think of, Jimmy. I think it's pretty interesting. How how would you describe your uh, yourself in terms of economics? Are you socialist? Uh, I'm broke. <laughs> no, no. But what do you what do you think appeals to you in terms of uh, the economic system? What do you mean? Well, there's like uh, typically there's candidates that are socialist, and then there's candidates that are capitalist. You know, and the the person that's socialist is the one that's saying, "I'm going to make this free. I'm going to make this free." Bernie Sanders, AOC, and then there's candidates that are like uh, they're more Republican or Libertarian that are like. No, we should provide people the means for them to provide for themselves. Obviously, the, the economics factor is not the only thing that plays into when you pick a candidate, right? There's obviously other things that you take into account, like, does this person hate me or not? You know, it doesn't matter to me if your economic system aligns with what I believe the economic system should be. If you hate my guts just because I'm Muslim, I'm probably not going to vote for you. Yeah, there's too many other factors in play. Yeah. But realistically, I would, I would like for it to be a mix of both. Give some to the people that need it. And then don't give too much. Otherwise, people are just going to get lazy and take advantage of you, which happens regardless of the point of whether you're giving anything out or not. If you give anything, there will be people that will take advantage. Yeah. Yeah. Like what happened recently with the, the labor shortage. Like McDonald's. literally, Yeah. Like McDonald's, <laughs> Wendy's uh, because of the. What is that? The, the weekly stipend that they're given to, the, to people that are unemployed. Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah. there's a literal quitting yeah there's a literal labor shortage in the market because they can't convince people to come back to work why would they they can make the same amount staying home or slightly less but it's free yeah and so uh, amazon recently came out and raised everyone's wages i think they made it 25 dollars an hour no hold up 25 dollars let me see (laughs) amazon wage increase are you talking about like the basic factory worker at amazon yeah no it said they they hiked it to 18 dollars an hour and they're doing this thing where they can uh pay for your college so this is um because amazon is expanding and they're trying to convince people to you know sign up for amazon on mass and the best way to do that is to uh convince them with better I mean, wages that's, that's definitely convincing yeah <laughs> So that's that's what's happening at Amazon. Better pay. Yeah, I can't complain with that. Yep. Yo, I I uh, I was listening to the other the, the first episode and I felt like I was talking too fast. Am I talking fast? How do you you think I'm slow um, fast? No, 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 no. I think you're good. Uh, you might be talking right. too fast, but not I mean not live while I'm listening to it. It doesn't sound too fast. Okay. Um. I will say right now, yeah. you can cut this part too. You No, let's leave it. No, no. Let's... All right. All right. Segue into the outro. What's that? Yeah, an outro? Yeah. <laughs> That's the end of the episode. Oh, you tired again? No, Man, you get just... tired. No, no. We've been talking for like 30, 40 minutes. I think that's a, good, a long enough podcast. I was trying to hit the hour mark. What are we at now? I don't know. Like 40 minutes? I think so. Yeah. We start at 8 a.m. It's 8:40. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, 
What kind of what kind of topic should we touch on before closing? <laughs> you son of a gun. <laughs> we need to go to Charleston, boy. Oh, you want okay, you're gonna close now? We you, you trying to go crabbing? Yeah, well, not crabbing. The other thing. Oh, the Darn archery? Axe. Yeah. The axe throw. Oh, yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. I saw a video on that. My God, it was wild. This girl throws the axe and it bounces back and flies over her head. You saw that? Mm-hmm. Damn, son. Mm-hmm. That would have been a, terrifying. That would have been a violent video, dude. Actually, um, all this stuff that you're bringing up was surprisingly new knowledge to me. And it's actually very good to read about it and hear it. Yeah, for sure. It. No, it's, dude, all of his website is, 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 is amazing. Like even just, even if you just pull it up in the morning before starting work and you just read one page, it's solid, mm-hmm. mashallah. This brother put in the work. Yeah, I like this. Abu Let me see. His name is Justin Parrot on Twitter. He's got a whole bunch of stuff. Check him out. Abu Amilianas. No, no, Amina Ilyas. Abu Amina Ilyas.com. Check him out. He's pretty good. Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. Let's check out his Twitter. Wait, I thought you said his name was oh Justin Parrot. Okay, never mind. Oh, that's cool. You got the screen on the side. Yeah. It's nice. I like it. No people gather remember what it is. Hmm. It's a it's a little fuzzy for me. Like I can't make out what it says, but maybe on the playback it'll be better. Looks like it's actually cut out just a tad. Let me. Oh, there we go, Jimmy. Pizza Perfecto. By the way, um, I was talking to a. Uh, just a fun fact we can close out with. Yeah. While you're, while you're playing deep. Um. I was asking a chef about this, about, hey, how come uh, how come there's so much involvement of the government? By the way, do I sound good? I don't know if my mic yeah. is too. Sometimes I turn my face when I'm talking. You sound good. Okay. There was uh, I was asking about a question, like, how come there's so much government involvement nowadays and, and what the ulama have to say? Like, for example, Jamat uh, al-Azhar, you know, the bastion of scholarship, of, of Islamic scholarship in Egypt. That was actually, by the way, that was founded by Abedullah al-Fatimi, the the Fatimi Shia state, as the it's gonna it was gonna be this the the Islamic university for you know propagating Shia belief, but ended up being converted back to Sunnism or to Sunnism from uh, when Salah Hadin took over. But uh, I was asking him about there's so much government involvement and pressure on ulama nowadays. I'm sure it existed in the past too. Obviously, it did because they you know they arrested. I think it was Imam Ahmed who was arrested and thrown in prison and tortured uh, for, for his belief on uh, the, I think it was the creation of the Quran. There was a little fitna there. But anyway, so I was asking him about how there's so much, there's so much government involvement in uh, the ulama the today and their, their fatawa. I was like, why is that the case? And so he talks about the, the, the system of the, of the waqaf, the awqaf. The, uh, historically, who provided for the scholars it wasn't the state it was endowments like they would set up an endowment which was the historical precedent to today's trusts you know the when you set up a trust uh, and you put money in it for your kids or something yeah 
the historical, the one that they had in the Muslim world was the, the Waqaf. And uh, they'd put money in it. And uh, a person, like he would be retiring, be like, I donate all this money to this masjid. And that masjid would then take the money, put it in this bank account. And they would take a little from it every month to pay for the salaries of the scholars and their students and the masjid upkeep, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Right. So it was, and it was, just, it was all over the place. The Oklahoma system was all over the Muslim world. And the, uh, the scholars had no pressure from the governments. Like they, they weren't being provided by the government. But after colonialism, post colonialism, the Oqaf system was dismantled. And so now, who runs Al-Azhar? The Egyptian government. So when, when, they're, when they're ulama, when their scholars walk up on the pulpit for Jumat, and they start saying some wild stuff, man. Wild, wild stuff. Like uh, uh, Dr. Ali Guma. Man walks up, and this is like a... I think it was 2013. This was right around the Egyptian revolution. Man walks up on the pulpit and goes, like kill them all. Oh, yeah. You know what he's talking about? No. What is he talking about? He was given, he was given a sermon to the, the soldiers in the Egyptian army saying, kill the protesters. And then he says, then glad tidings are, are, are blessed are the ones that kill them or are killed by them. He just made that up on the spot. Dude, he was just, he was literally just fabricating. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. And he denies it. That's like a pretty bold claim too. Like, go ahead, kill them all. Just annihilate yes, them, destroy that's them. That's what I'm saying. And that's what they do nowadays. They got these, uh, in Arabic, there's a phrase they call them as ulama salatin the scholars of the sultans because they just, they are mouthpieces for people in power. They just do what they want them. They say what they want them to say. That's it. They they have no other, they have no backbone. They have no charisma. They have no courage. Some of them do, right? Some of them actually do. And those guys, they get locked up, man. They get locked up in the thousands, you know? Uh, And so people mistake the ones that are locked up, some of them, for being extreme terrorists. Some of them probably are, right? Some of them probably are terrorists, right? But yeah. that's not the case with a lot of them. A lot of them are just moderate Muslim scholars that oppose the state. Like in Saudi Arabia, dude, they threw uh, Sheikh Salman Oda in prison. And all he did... Huh? For what? So just a little background on Sheikh Salman Oda. He's, uh, um, he's, mashallah, he's very moderate. You know what I mean? He, he gives very... Uh, temperate views on uh, Islamic topics and he uh, makes decisions and, and things that kind of go against the uh, um, the masses and uh, one of the things he said was was uh, that we need a referendum and said this is pre uh, King Sinman and Mohammed bin Sinman that we hey we need a referendum on uh, uh, you know establishing the rights of the people just something like a bill of rights you know what I mean like let's just talk about the rights of the people so that we don't trample their rights Whenever we get upset, okay. and King Salman was receptive to that because he was at the time he was a prince. The king was King Abdullah, right? And uh, he said, "But I can't do anything about it. I gotta wait till I get to power." He gets to power, and nothing happens. As a matter of fact, he puts him, uh, his son. He gives him like control, and then uh, um, after he gives Muhammad Salman control, they come after him. There's a situation where they decided to blockade Qatar, 
uh, Sheikh Salman Aude publishes on, he posts this tweet on Twitter saying, you know, Allahumma alif bayna qulubin muslimin uslah baynum, that may Allah uh, um, bring together the hearts of the Muslims and, and correct their situation, rectify their situation. The next day he's put in prison. Just for saying that? Just for saying that. So that's are the thing serious? is that, yeah, some of these guys are getting locked up and uh, they actually have the courage to say stuff, you know, to go and, and correct because the it's from the tradition that you sorry hold on arthur's messing with my wires uh so there it's from the tradition the islamic tradition that when the scott uh when when the the sultan screws up when the person in charge screws up you go and correct his behavior you know non-violent you know um uh, uh how do you say basically you correct their behavior but not in a violent way you go and you tell like um and if, if you just look at the tradition like uh, uh, Omar bin Khattab one time, he gets up to give the khutbah. He goes, Ya ayyuhan nas, isma'u wa ati'u. Oh, people, listen and obey. Someone gets up from the audience. La sam'an wa la ta'an, ya amir al-mu'mineen. He goes, no, we will never listen, we will never obey, O leader of the believers. Like, he's mad. He's like, whoa, what, what's up? What's going on? You good? And he goes, he goes, how come everyone was given one garment but you were given two. So there was a, a piece of land that had sheep that was owned by the, the government, the state. And uh, they went and they sheared the wool of the sheep and they made from them garments and they gave it out to the people. Omar gets up to give the khutbah and he was a very tall man, like very tall. And he, he was so tall that they said that when he got on a horse, his feet would almost drag on the ground. Wow. And so if he got one garment of wool, it wouldn't cover his body. So he was wearing two. And he goes, oh, that thing. You know what I mean? He's like, you're mad about that. Explain to them, Abdullah. So he goes to, he tells Abdullah to stand up. Abdullah is his son. And Abdullah says, the love and Omar, says, I gave my father my share uh, of, of wool. So look at the situation. Like this dude was mad about a garment of wool. And then Omar explained to him. He's like, no, no, I got you. Let me explain. It was my son's. I took it. Now I have two. You know what I mean? I didn't take more than I should have taken. It was a, a piece of wool. Yeah. It was a shirt. And it just look at that. Compare that with people that speak up, like especially in Saudi Arabia, that speak up against the state. Those people literally disappear, man. Straight up disappear. That kid, uh, that kid, Omar bin Abdul Aziz, that kid that uh, he's living in Canada right now, dude. He he. Okay, so he he posts stuff on on Twitter all the time, you know, against Saudi Arabia and whatnot, and. and Spoke at, he was with Jamal Khashoggi. He was, they had this thing going, uh, Ali Hamel before he passed. And, uh, uh, dude, he is in fear of his life right now. He's like in hiding. Anyone that speaks up against Saudi can disappear. They will, even, even outside of Saudi, they'll come and they'll find you, they'll toss you into the back of their car and then take you back to Saudi. And so, um, Saudi Arabia actually sent two agents to go talk to him. And uh, so this kid already talks about it. He's like, yeah, they were very cordial. They're very nice. And uh, they come to talk to me and they're like, uh, we want you to know that Mohammed bin Salman says, whenever you wish to come back to Saudi Arabia, it's like a Najdi phrase. That means you're under our protection. Like, don't worry. The, the crown prince himself said that you're protected. And if you need any dam, if you need any money, we got you. We'll, we'll because we know 
We know that you're not working with enemies of the state. We know that you are trying to better society. And we want you to know that if you come back, you will be protected. Lying straight through their teeth, boy. They arrested his friends. They arrested his brothers because he's from a big family. All these kids, their lives are ruined just because they knew Ahmed bin Abdelaziz. Because they're trying to put pressure on him to get him to come back. They arrested his friends. They send him audio messages on WhatsApp. And he was playing them on this video of people crying, like, please come back. Please, your mom is crying. Please come back. And all this pressure is mounting on him to get him to come back. But he knows if, if I go back, the rest of my life is in prison. If they can arrest Sheikh Saman Oda, imagine what they do to this kid. And Sheikh Saman Oda had a lot of prestige, you know. Even Jamal Khashoggi, dude, that guy was really well known. He was like, especially in Saudi Arabia, he had best friends in, in, in the government. You know, he was a big shot and then they just kill him. Um, but yeah, we, we could wrap up here if you want. I got to let the cat out. Uh, so subhanakal bihamdik. Any closing words, any closing thoughts? Not that I can think of. All right, let's see what the audio playback is like. Because I can't, what the hell is <laughs> I keep going off mic. So. All right, I'm going to hit end, okay? Uh, okay. <laughs>